We're proud to have this episode sponsored by ShakePay, the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. I love using ShakePay because it's fast, it's easy, the app is great, and it doesn't hurt that they give away free sats, which is free Bitcoin every day just for shaking your phone. They also have the ShakePay prepaid Visa card issued by People's Trust that earns you up to 2% cash back in Bitcoin. Not points you have to redeem, just Bitcoin added to your account automatically. Like I said, ShakePay really is the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. So join the over 1 million Canadians already on ShakePay. Sign up is fast and free. It's so easy, a boomer can do it. Plus, sign up for ShakePay with the promo code LOONIEHOUR and you'll receive $10 after you buy your first $100 worth of Bitcoin. That's promo code LOONIEHOUR. Thank you, ShakePay. Now back to the show. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 63. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting at, at Mama's Basement, and Keith <laughs> Dicker of Ice Cap Asset Management and his ultimate dad Christmas sweater. Welcome back to the show. Gentlemen, Keith, what's going on, buddy? I heard there's a big Christmas party at your house. I'm coming over. Yeah, I know. It's going to be lots of fun. I love Christmas. You know, everyone loves it. It's lots of fun. We have my family arriving today. And uh, so we'll host on Christmas Day. And, you know, I break out my ugly Christmas sweater every year. It's my San Francisco 49ers logo on it. That's fun. Big 49ers I don't think, guy. For those I don't think they wear that in, in London, do they, Rich? I'm not in London. I'm in Montreal. Back in Montreal, visiting my yeah. mom. It's Christmas. She's bugging me. She, if, she, if you hear any voices on the podcast, it's because my mother insists on talking to me while I'm on my Zoom calls or I'm on the phone or she's about to throw something at me. For sure. <laughs> uh, she's not happy I just said that, by the way. <laughs> the wine's, the wine's going to be flowing at the Diaz household. That's right. Cheers. Cheers. Happy, happy, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, this is the uh, the, the Christmas special here. So, uh, you know, I think this is a great, great place to, to wrap it up. Like I said, we in last week's episode, we'll continue to sort of pump up the content uh, each and every week here. So we won't actually be skipping a beat despite the holidays. Uh, that's dedication. And uh, with that being said, actually, quick announcement. If anyone has any sort of, um, you know, if you're running a business, if you're connected to the marketing world, uh, we do have a couple advertising spots opening up. Uh, in the new year. So if anyone wants sort of to to advertise in the Looney Hour, obviously we have to vet you, but there is going to be uh, a couple ad spots opening up. So we'll uh, certainly send us an email, but let's, let's dive into it. You know, there's uh, quite a bit to jump through this week. We've got uh, a little bit more on the Canadian housing front. We've got uh, some numbers from CPI inflation, Canada retail sales, big movements in the equity market, announcements from the Bank of Japan. So there's a lot to get through this week. Uh, but I want to touch on quickly on the really what's happening from sort of the the housing sector, which is, you know, we chatted about it last week, which is, you know, national house price is down 16.5% uh, now since they peaked earlier this year. That's the steepest correction since the index was created back in 2005. Now, not every market is moving sort of the same. There, there are some nuances, but it's funny. I was interesting. I was looking at, the sales figures, because the Canadian Real Estate Association doesn't ironically report this, which is the November, November home sales were the weakest uh, since 2008. So pretty impressive once you actually start to unpack the data a little bit further, because look what just happened with our population numbers. So we had some numbers coming out uh, from Stats Canada, basically showing immigration numbers. So the population growth in Canada was up 865,000 people on a year-over-year basis. So we added 630,000 new people last quarter alone. And um, so this was basically, this was the, the largest influx in historical data going back to the mid-1970s. So when they started really sort of tracking and having like a clean data set going back to the 1970s, this is the largest increase on record, over 800,000 people. Um 
I mean, really, really insane. And then and you kind of layer that over and you say, wow, you know, despite that, you know, housing sales are still running at, you know, multi-decade lows. Um, I don't know if you guys have any comments on that. I don't know if you, you look too closely at the data there, but. No, I mean, it, I mean I'll, I'll have, I can weigh in here. I mean, listen, it, you know, it's it's just it's it's a balance, right? Obviously, um, my, sorry, my mother's making noise while we, I talk on the podcast, which is very very frustrating for me because she knows that she can't do that. <laughs> so let's start over. Um, we've talked about um, GDP growth being partly a function of investment, consumption, government spending, net exports, and then the other part of the GDP equation is having the amount of people you have, and then productivity growth. And we've we've talked about how productivity is the most important thing in the world. Something I obsess over, obviously. And and what this and uh, this inflation uh, sorry this population growth number just continues to do it it continues to hide the lack of productivity growth that we have in Canada that's the angle that I sort of think about we're going to get into the retail sales bit in a minute um, and how we reference that retail sales per capita so per individuals actually basically blend flat and yet we're going to see the GDP numbers I think they're going to be relatively strong reflect the enormous amount of people that we're having coming into this country again this is not an indictment on in, uh, immigrants per se. My mother, who's making all kinds of noise in the background, is an immigrant. I would love her. She's a contributing member of society. She's paid an incredible amount of taxes. But it's about how your society obviously integrates them. Can the infrastructure withstand it? Um, are you getting more and more out of each person who's joining your economy? Um, and are you affecting, let's say, housing or the squeeze on infrastructure? Or we know that there's healthcare issues in, all, over the, all over the country, not just uh, Quebec, et cetera. And, and that's the, and that's, the, you know, that's the thing. It's about weighing these offsetting challenges. And clearly the policy right now is just ignoring all the negative externality. Keith, do you have any well, comments on that? Well, first of all, I love Rich's passive aggressiveness with his mom. <laughs> this is a... This is like another classic rich, you know, <laughs> awkward social moments with, with Rich. We get such a, an incredible insight into a way, you know, we, we all live in. It's I can fun. see the Christmas dinner just developing now. Ma, meatloaf. <laughs> no, she's like crunching up like wrapping paper or something of all the things. Anyways, uh, that was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, we'll get back date, to some more. Did, did your date make it to Montreal? No, no. It's, it wasn't Over. a date. And Oh, my God. Keith, Is there a second please. date? Is there a second date coming Stay up? Stay tuned. Stay tuned, everybody. Cross your That's fingers for Rich. I know, like it's it's pretty uh, interesting. Uh, a lot more interesting than than well, well, okay. So here, here are my thoughts on the whole, you know, population growth. I mean, it's it's a very long term trend that that's taking place. Longer term, you, as as Rich pointed out, you know, that if your population continues to grow, and more importantly, if it gets younger and is highly productive, that's outstanding for for any economy. Uh, short term, we're obviously going to get, you know, some cyclical down movements here. And um, we're going to start to see those come down Q1. So once once we look briefly now at, at the Canadian GDP and CPI number that came out. Already on. We, we're going to get into that. Yeah. And we see the narratives behind what was the market response to it? What, what are people now expecting the Bank of Canada to do? Which, by the way, no one has a clue because these, these guys have lost any kinds of maybe they gained confidence themselves. But uh, you want to have transparency. Uh, so we'll go through all that stuff. But the uh, I, I continue to look very closely now at the Canadian housing market. And everyone, you know, we all own a house of, in some way or another. Maybe we're renting a house that's owned by somebody else or we you know, we have our own or we're looking to buy. Um, I, I look at it a bit, a bit differently because I always look at everything from a risk perspective, not a return perspective, because your return will take care of itself. And, and right now, you know, you have the data that you can see, but we have the anecdotal stories as well. And anecdotally, it's it's starting to roll over here. And I don't know if it's rolled over to the point where it's, okay, we could, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's it. Everybody will absorb everything and it'll be fine. But it's increasingly looking like we're, we're going to go into a bit of a hard landing coming up. And I want to talk about what we're starting to see in the bond market, because that's always the big test for everything. We're starting to see that. 
And then you're starting to see, you know, what's happening with equity markets that that's driving it too. But overall, though, Steve, um, you know, with with you know, back to the housing market, you said it was the worst month since since 08, I think you said yeah, worst worst November since 2008. And again, they, that's 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 not saying well adjusted for population. It's just saying unit sales every November. So the, this is the fewest number of unit sales since 2008. And think about again how much the population has unit sales. That's unbelievable. That that's a pretty. Uh, I was going to ask you, was it percentage month over month? But it's actually no. unit sales. That's no, that's exactly pretty. Unit uh, sales, right? Like we just talked about. I mean, we added over eight hundred thousand people in the last twelve months alone. So yeah. So here's a rhetorical the, question: What are those people doing? Are they if they're not buying their houses? They are. I mean, renting. people always come in. They say people always come renting. in. Renting. Oh, yeah, you know these these new immigrants. Like you know they're working at whatever your local convenience store, they can't afford to buy a house. Um, I mean, I can tell you, I work, I've worked with a lot of clients personally that have come here. They don't buy a house in the first six months. Like they definitely go and rent and they add right. demand to the rental market. But I can tell you like as an immigrant, especially from certain countries, like they're like, it, it's like an honor to be able to own your own house. And so like they, they, they scrape, man, they get, they they can get they grind. They grind. They grind. They got the grinders mentality and they will do whatever it takes to to try to to, to afford and buy their own home. And it, it doesn't happen right away. But I've got a lot of clients that have immigrated here. Um, you know, I think one of the big trends we're seeing is definitely a lot of like, you know, uh, immigrants coming over from India. Uh, these are these are highly skilled workers. Uh, a lot of them in the tech uh, in the tech space in particular and and you know they're making pretty good incomes and it doesn't happen right away but and, and so i think that is actually like one of my clientele that i'm seeing a larger number of people coming in and like entering the housing market so, so steve i have a question for you um do you have clients or people you know they're now like they now they know that hey the market is getting softer and are they, like do you are you aware of a lot of capital that's just simply sitting on the sideline waiting for an opportunity to buy again, or has it changed to where everyone is saying I'm not touching this for a while now I'm all, I'm all done. Times I mean there's lots of capital on the sidelines. It's just every like we have so many people that are just like ducks are in a row just waiting for a better entry point. Um, I think where you maybe have seen like the drop off in terms of like inquiries and stuff like that is definitely like people looking for like secondary investment properties like that has definitely slowed significantly. When I look at like our pipeline, um, it's definitely like a lot of like young families and stuff like that that are like money's ready, sitting, waiting for the right opportunity that, you know, like it's 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 always interests me because it's kind of like the same human psychology, which is like. When the market's going up, everybody just follows what everybody else is doing and buys, right? So that's why that's why, you know, at the top of a bull market when prices are up, you know, 30, 40, 50%, unit sales are at all-time highs because everybody's buying at the top of the market. And then when you when the market's down, you got 10, 15 year lows and home sales, prices are down, you know, double digits, nobody's buying because they're looking and saying, Well, all my friends are telling me not to buy to keep waiting. So I always find it interesting just from like that human sentiment perspective, you know, the old adage, which is like you know, uh, buy low, sell high. I don't think anyone actually ever accomplishes that. Very few do. Let's put it that way. Very few. Or the other no, one when there's yeah. blood in the streets, when there's blood in the streets, <laughs> which is a bit crueler, just, but naturally you think it's just going to keep getting worse. Right. I mean, I think the sentiment around housing rightfully so is, is pretty horrible right now. But if uh, I mean, if, if there are if, if there is a pocket of investors or buyers out there on the sideline in, in the waiting, are they using what they like what the high like if you pick any neighborhood where you are near in the city, are they using like the price point from last year as the high point or their or October, November? And at which point would would someone suggest to them, hey, I think now is a good time to get in? Are we getting close to that point or is it still Hey, let's let let this play out a little bit. I think I think arguably, depending on your situation, what you're buying, there's arguably there's deals already out there. Like, you know, you've got some of these suburban houses in certain pockets that are, you know, the, you get the occasional seller that's like motivated to sell and has to get out, and they're you know they're thirty percent off the peak. It's like, well, how much more do you want? Especially if you're going to buy a house, you're going to live in your family home for the next ten years. So it, it's a different 
I think it's like, I don't know, I, I always view like your primary residence less so as like an investment property. I think the investment side, I always say to clients, you know, you can try to get cute, time the market, because if you miss it, who really cares? You don't have to buy it. But if you're buying like a family home, yeah, of course you want to buy at the top of the market. But like to try to like pinpoint the bottom on a, on a primary residence you're going to live in for the next like 12 years and you're going to grow a family in, like, I don't know. You're man, way less sensitive. Go day trade the S&P. Yeah. Like, well, like when I bought my first home in 1963, I thought I was topping <laughs> the market then. But then, you know, years later, it, it starts to play out. Um, but, you know, it, it's all interesting. And in terms of, the, you know, our perspective with, with the outlook, it's one thing for pricing to come down. But if the cost of financing is not coming down with it, you know, rates continue to go up, bank lending standards may be getting tighter and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I, you know, I'm less optimistic about a near term bottom. I would agree. Being there, I think we're a little, little bit off. Um, the okay. optimistic scenario, in my opinion, the optimistic scenario is that like prices go flat. Like that's like the bull case is like prices flatline from here and you have like this bottom. But like I, I my base case is I think there's more downside. Um, again, each pocket's going to be slightly different. Like, you know, we go back and look at this, you know, you look at national house prices, you know, they're down 16 and a half percent from the peak. They're officially down 4% year over year. I think Toronto's down like nine. You know, but you look at the market like Calgary, Calgary's up 9% on a year over year basis because that market was flat for a decade. It did nothing for a decade. Um, if you look at a recent report from RBC uh, that highlighted uh, housing affordability, uh, it's they said it's um, the affordability measure is it's, it's worst on record. So the affordability metric, which they have going back to the 19, uh, mid-1980s, this is the worst uh, measure of housing affordability in Canada. So it takes about 62 uh, share of income uh, household would need to cover the ownership costs. It's 62% in Canada, 95% in Vancouver, 85% in Toronto. And again, looking at Calgary, for example, it's 41%. So you can see why that market isn't necessarily being impacted very much by higher rates. Um, it's also why if you look at the population data, Alberta has seen the strongest population growth as a percentage basis, and it's actually seen the, for the first time in a decade, more people have been leaving British Columbia going to Alberta than people have been leaving Alberta and going to British Columbia. So that's actually flipped for the first time in a decade. So it feels to me, it's like, you know, the old adage was people move to Alberta to, to, to get, you know, a job in the oil and gas sector. And now they're moving there just to get like an affordable single family house. I guess that's why and, people are also moving out to East. Um, I know the other two, the other three or four provinces that have nailed their population growth numbers um, for all our misgivings about people going to Toronto and Vancouver and, and the misallocation of resources there. I know the PEI, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia are the top of the table as far as year on year and two year growth rates in population. Sorry, Keith, you were going to say something. I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> Classic. No, I mean, it wasn't that interesting. <laughs> I think it is like self fulfilling, though, right? It's like, I think, like Howard Marks say, right? It's like, the, you know, the pendulum swings, and like at some point, like the pendulum swings to these extremes in like Vancouver and Toronto, where it's like, okay, well, literally, it gets to a point where like nobody can afford it. And like they just they have to start, they start to make plans to leave and go somewhere else. And, and then the prices will naturally just, just have to correct. So, to me, it feels. I, re like I remember now. I remember what I was going to say. The uh, so I, no, but we know that market's going to be a bit softish. We we all we are all aware of that by now. Um, but again, the, the next step is to see if if we if we get a slowdown in the economy that equals job losses, less aggregate income, and and all that. That's then when it'll it'll create another leg down in real estate, and and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But that's what everyone is looking for now, including all the economists out there and, you know, the risk side at, at banks and so forth. So that's that's where we're headed next. You know, it's uh, just to t quickly touch on that, we'll kind of wrap up the housing frontier. But um, is the, you know, we talked about new listings being the lowest since 2000, or sorry, new sales, but new listings are basically at running at multi-decade lows in like Vancouver and Toronto. And I think nationally, like we're, we're at or close to like 10 year lows. So like you actually really don't have a lot of activity at all in general. So 
Um, and again, you can imagine, you know, if you're a realtor or a mortgage broker in this kind of an environment, like you don't really have a lot of sales, you don't really have a lot of listings. There's just, it's just a slow market. Um, so, so another question for you on that then, uh, like in terms of, you know, volume, of course, is incredibly important in, in size as well. But say like year today, this year versus year today, last year, what was the difference in your world, Steve? Uh, in terms, of I don't like, mean your desk, but for the industry, you know, like what? I, I think, yeah, I think the industry has to be down. I know, I know, mortgage originations are down just over thirty percent uh, nationally. So, and I think, yeah. So, I mean, depending on your market, you're down anywhere from probably twenty-five to forty percent. And I imagine, like, sort of higher yielding type mortgages are down even more. Yeah, I think it just depends than, on the space that you're playing in, right? I mean. I, I would imagine like, okay, let's say, you know, you get some of these like luxury agent realtors that, uh, you know, focus on the only, they don't move a lot of product to begin with. They, they move like very high end product. And it's like, uh, even that stuff's not turning over now. Right. So it's like, you've gone from maybe you do like six big deals a year to like, you know, two or three. It's like, Oh boy. Like that's uh that's a huge drop in, in, in income for sure. I'm more of a yield guy. That's what I like to play. The yield guy. I prefer craps. I like the craps table. Um, okay. Okay. Just, just to quickly kind of wrap up this, this, uh, this segment here is um, we had some more clarity as well on Canada's national foreign buyer ban of residential home, yeah. which goes into effect as of January 1st. It means classic government like literally they've dropped the last bit of the policy. So everyone's like, we know it's coming, but like, what are the stipulations? What are the exemptions? So it kind of left like a lot of like people in lingo, in limbo of like, what, 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 how is this going to work? They literally drop the final sort of stipulations yesterday, like two weeks before the policy goes into place. Um, but they have exempted foreign students and foreign workers in Canada. So, and obviously if you're a PR, you're exempt, but so basically, you know, what I, my takeaway from all of this is the government says one thing and then they implement policy, which to me signals something else. So when I look at the data, you say, okay, well, we brought in over 800,000 people, the most since the 1970s, and you brought in a foreign buyer ban, which exempts basically all the people that you're bringing into the country. So in my opinion, it's just, it just kind of just reaffirms like the economic policy in Canada is import people, sell them housing, build housing, and, and that's it. It's that, that's the model, like bring in 500, 800,000 people a year and sell them real estate. So we exempted them from the ban. Well, it'll work until it doesn't. So they're right. Here we go. <laughs> Anyway, Rich, so what does your mom think? Ask your mom to come on screen there. Uh, no, no, that's not happening today. <laughs> Maybe next time. But Rich, oh, my mom, you know what? You know what? I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I've talked about the immigration situation with my mom for a long time. You know, um, she thinks uh, obviously immigration is good. But I think her worry as somebody who's 72 years old and has lived here since 1969, um, her issue is, you know, it, it's, it's what do you do with the people when they're here? So like one of the really sad, sad stories we hear all the time is, you know, you're you're from Tehran, you're a medical doctor, you have a degree, you've been practicing medicine for 10 or 15 years. You come here to Canada, we welcome you with open arms, and then your degree isn't worth the paper that it's written on. And that's to me is a crime, right? We're, we're, we're desperate for doctors, we're desperate for engineers. And when all these wonderful and brilliant, hardworking people come here, we say, oh, well, you know, your degree isn't quite as valuable as um, you needed you need a degree to move here, but when you get here, your degree is not worth it, and you can't go get a, a doctor as a, a excuse me a job as a pediatrician or a surgeon or an engineer or whatever. And that I just it just rubs me the wrong way. Either the person's um, there's got to be a way around this, and I think you know some of our politicians and the opposition have started to touch on this, but in general, I find that that's kind of a, a really sad part. Um, but also Canada's huge, you know, this is the other thing. So it's just a weird, it's just a weird one. But as Keith says, I think it works until it doesn't. The reality is we just have a very terrible productivity growth. We don't invest in research and development. 
And, uh, and those are the key, key metrics that we should be judging our economy by. Well, I mean, the 800,000 people, I mean, what's the strain on the infrastructure, right? Like you, everybody's heard all the horror stories. Doesn't matter what province you're in, the horror stories around, you know, getting healthcare treatment, right? Going to the, to going to the you know, the emergency room and waiting for five hours um, is, is a common theme, right? I mean, there's just... That's why it's doubly crazy. I met this guy who was a taxi driver in Halifax. I'll never forget him. His name was Dr. Q. And he was an Iranian pediatrician and had been working in Iran for 20 years. And he and the reason I met him in a taxi cab is because when he came to Canada and, you know, um, after demonstrating, you know, I didn't want to live in, in Iran. I think that's rather understandable. Wanted to move his family and himself here. And when, when he came here, he had to do a five-year qualifying course to recertify. And it's just, it's, it's just like, it's really, at this point, it's just, it's Kafka-esque, right? Like we desperately need doctors. This guy comes as a doctor and then has to recertify for five years and God love him and his commitment. And when I met him, he was in his fourth year of recertifying, but the guy was in his mid fifties. It's outrageous. You know, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a way to expedite that. Um, and, and I feel like that's true of engineers of electricians. I mean, there's, come on, there's a loads and loads of technical kind of skill sets. Um, and the other thing that's really important to note, by the way, is the wages. So in Canada, wage growth is is not at all keeping up with uh, inflation. Wage growth is basically more abound at like two or three percent. And it's a function of the and whereas if you contrast that with the United States, the wage growth is at 20 year highs. I mean, if you're between the age of 16 and 24, wage growth is at seven, uh, 13, 14 percent. Hourly wage, wage earners are getting more than and salaried employees, et cetera. And then that's the, the reason is, is because they just don't have the same population growth that we have. And so you have a, a squeeze of labor shortage. Sorry, so you have labor shortage. And then so wage growth, wage growth expands to, to meet that, you know, supply demand equilibrium. And in this country, that's the other part of not giving, you know, a, a gentleman like Dr. Q his due, forgive, forgive the rhyme, is that you've suppressed wages for, working class and, and, and people. And it's just, it's, you're doubly screwed. Sorry. I could go on and on for that. So maybe we should just switch subject, but no, it's I mean, really frustrating. Speaking of uh, inflation there. Um, oh yeah. My small, time to shine. Yeah. We had a, we had a small downtick, very small downtick. Uh, Keith, I don't know if oh. you have any initial thoughts or maybe Rich, you want to, you want to unpack the data first, but um, you know, it, it, it seems to me, that like based on kind of who your data source was or what news rag that you decided to read, everyone kind of has a slowly different spin on the data. Uh, Rich, I'm kind of curious your unbiased views of how much sort of weighting you put onto that CPI. And then obviously Keith, you know, your, your, your perspective from like a markets uh, view. So, so I agree with Keith, but I won't front run him. I'll just lay out the data really quickly and then we'll hear Keith's point of view. I think the key, so just quickly so people know, uh, inflation headline was is now, I fell slightly to 6.8%. So the rate of change fell, but it's still well above 2% target. Um, we know the core, which is the thing I look at. So it excludes food and energy. Uh, now you can argue about whether or not that's a sensible thing to do, but everybody does it. So, you know, that's just the way life is. Um, and that rose to 5.8%. So that's a really, really important little, little wrinkle. Services inflation, which regular listeners will know, is stickier um, and not related to supply chains uh, in the same way and not related to commodity stuff, rose to 5.75. So I think that's now at a 28-year high. Um, so again, I mentioned core goods fell, but goods fell because of energy, uh, health and personal care costs continue to accelerate shelter, which we always go on and on and on about because it's such a huge part of your core basket rose on the back of, can you guess what it is, Steve? Rents. Mortgage interest so, costs. And, well, that's true. Definitely mortgage interest costs, but also rents. So, you know, the way that you break it down is housing can be part of the services component of housing. There's like, you know, household operations, literally running a household that rose to 3.8%. There's owner accommodation, which is your point about literally your mortgage payment. Again, it, there's some complications on how that's calculated, but maybe that's too nitty gritty for today. But the key thing that jumped like crazy is rented accommodation, which jumped to 5.9%. That's, that's very, very high. And then my favorite absolute chart, as everyone who regularly listens to us, is the, um, the three preferred measures of core inflation, which ignore 
um, transitory and sector-specific fluctuations in CPI, that's a direct quote, by the way, from the Bank of Canada, rose. All three of them rose, one more than others. So we're all at, we're at like 5, 5.3 and 4.5%, sorry, sorry, and 6.7% for the you know, the, the median, trimmed mean, and factor model. And don't take my word for it, just Google it and you can find the literature. But the point is, is that inflation, you know, you and me and a bunch of other people are, we're expecting it to slow and it has slowed at the headline number, but there's still a lot of pressure um, with respect to the inflation breadth, which we've discussed over and over again, that continues. And then we're going to get Keith's view on what that means for the Bank of Canada. Keith? Yeah, it's uh, so there's a couple things here right now. First of all, monetary policy, it, it can usually take a year right. to actually take effect. Maybe nine months, 15 months, like nobody knows. It's not a you know a, a perfect science. And so what the market is looking for now, it, it, it's clues, you know, because you're not going to get the, you know, the monthly data coming out to go from six, seven, eight percent down to you know a, a magical two percent number, for example. But we're looking, is it starting to roll over? And even if the numbers are still sort of you know high on an absolute basis, you know, we're we're also looking at what's happening with, with the underlying monthly data with as looking at growth or wage inflation and things like that. And uh over the last week here in Canada, it it's decidedly or most people believe it's getting weaker. Right, so maybe all the medicine we took when the when the Canadians started raising rates there a while ago, starting to hit the same thing everywhere else around the world. So we're getting closer and closer to when the market is saying, "We think you're done." So with the Bank of Canada right now, uh, they're at four and a quarter percent, right? We're at four and a quarter for Bank of Canada, and yeah. right now market is pricing in. Now the market's Double. been. The drum roll, oh, that's the Yanks. Uh, drum roll. Well, the number now is uh, four and a half. So the, so the market is saying, you know, we'll get one more rate hike here in January, effectively. Uh, but take and that done. for what it is. Yeah, and then they're, you know, then they're done. Uh, however, also consider that for the last Bank of Canada meeting, the Bank of Canada blew everyone out of the water. No one was expecting what they did. So you know they, you know they're they're sort of you know they're they're their own duck, so to speak. And uh, but right now the market is clearly saying you know maybe enough is enough because we got to get all these rate hikes to everyone now. You know the mortgage payments have gone up. Uh, maybe rent has gone up. People have to roll over debt. Like that debt servicing cost has gone up. Ottawa, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, Quebec, Ontario, everyone, you know, when they roll over the debt, come, it's it's all going to go up. So uh, I think right now we are getting that point. And the key thing is, I like to look at the Canadian dollar all the time. You know, how is it moving? And what is it expected to do and, and all that? Um, let see if I can find CAD. Talk about yeah. like so the, time the, the other... Keith, go ahead, finish off. Yeah, so the other big thing, so right now, the correlations for everything is plus one and minus one. So everything is either moving in the same direction or it moves in the opposite direction of, of the U.S. dollar. Really, that, that's what's happening. But Canadian dollar specifically, you know, it, it, it had this peak there in the middle of November. And since then, it's, it's been coming off, right? It, it's coming off pretty aggressively. And even though the data points that came out last week, uh, which was, you know, it suggests it should stay strong, it's starting to sell off again. And it's no longer moving in line with oil as well. So again, it's telling me that, you know, maybe we're, we're done up here in Canada. The, you know, it's funny because you're talking about, you know, the rate hikes and, and how long it takes. I mean, just looking at uh, RBC put out a model here uh, the other day that, uh, you know, they had debt service, the debt servicing ratio, uh, in Canada, they only have it. They have it hitting a new all-time record high in Q2, second quarter of 2023. So you can kind of tell it takes a bit of time to sort of work its way through the system. Uh, I just keep hearing anecdotally of all the sort of variable rates and the trigger rates and how much everyone's having to sort of fork out uh, on a monthly basis. And of course, those coming for renewal on their mortgages, you know, that that tied up a mortgage five years ago and are just suddenly being renewed at double the double the rate that it is going to uh to bite but it just takes time to filter through and to, to your point there is on the shelter inflation my god like rents 
I'm sorry, but rents, rents are, rents have peaked for this cycle. Everyone that I talk to across the country, property managers, realtors, developers, just not seeing it. You know, they're not coming down, but they're not really going up anymore. So wait a second. I want to, I want to, can we unpack that for a second? So what do you mean? Like, you mean the rate of change has peaked, but surely not like in absolute terms, it's not going to come you, down. Did you say Shirley? <laughs> no <laughs> so, no yeah, one's watched that, that movie, Keith. No one's watched that movie. Add that to the bingo card. Oh, um, so, so for example, okay, let's say a one-bedroom condo in Vancouver, Toronto. In the summer, that might have pushed, let's say, $2,000 a month. You want to got like a peak, peak price of $2,000 a month or whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm just picking a hypothetical number. Today, you're probably still getting $2,000 a month, maybe nine, maybe $1980, $1975. But so you think the rate of change is negative. So the rate of change is negative month on month or quarter on quarter. Or I, I would say month on month, it's flat, in my opinion. Turn, okay. Turnover rents are flat. So the, the, the market, the absolute level of rents in my view and discussions with people that are doing this for a living is that they've peaked. Like you just, you squeeze like the top of the rental market. Like if you had a rental market and you get a unit and you put it on the market, whether it was in Calgary or Vancouver or Toronto and you listed it in the summer, man, did you get a really, really big number? And you're just, you're just not getting that. And today you're getting, you're lucky to get the same number. Okay. So- Maybe so again. how did, how does that square with the how does that square with the CPI data that just conti- like that just took a huge jump? Is that just a lagging indicator? I is it the way they? We, is- we talked about it on the way up, right? Like this show, we were like the inflation bulls, and everyone was like, oh, I don't know about you guys, and we were like, no, like yeah, like, fair enough. Remember, we were talking about like, hey, where's where does Stats Canada? Where are they getting their groceries? <laughs> like, why is food inflation like three percent? Yeah, I remember that. Clearly does. So I just think like that's how I'm looking at like the, the housing figure is the fact that shelter components still going up. It's like, come on, guys. Like we just talked about at the beginning of the show, national house prices are down 16 and a half percent since they peaked. It's not like rents aren't going to be that far behind. I mean, I think there's going to be downwards pressure. But again, sorry to be annoying, but like the, the, the pushback might be if you have that many new people coming into this country, they're all between the like two thirds of which, by the way, are in between the ages of 20 and 50. They're relatively well capitalized. They're relatively employable. Uh, I mean, doesn't that sort of put a floor under that two thousand uh, dollars? Yes, yes, I think it puts a floor under the rental prices for sure. Now, again, how much weakness are you going to get in the labor market? Because at the end of the day, it's like as a landlord, you can only push the rent so high. Right. The labor force has to be able to pay for it. And if, if you know, I don't know, is there if there's weakness in the labor market moving forward because you have this recession? I think that sort of you know, Fair enough. wage inflation a bit. If people are like, well, you know, I can only afford this much in wages because, you know, my cost, the grocery store are up exponentially. And, and so I, I just think like, again, I'm not necessarily saying rents are going to come down, but you, as you know, like the way the bass is calculated from a rate of change perspective on like a year over year basis, I think you're going to see basically flat mm-hmm. to no growth, like by say summer of next, like next summer. Yeah, that's fair. I could see that. I could see that. What about retail sales, Rich? You were watching those. Yeah, well, retail sales, we talked about um, last, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how retail sales um, per capita, again, that's, I mean, again, the reason we harp on this uh, population growth stuff is because you can hide a lot of negative news when you just allow lots of people into your country. And so retail sales per capita has been flat since 2018. Remember, in contrast that with the United States, which is up 20% per capita in that exact same time. And so retail sales, um, you know, not per capita, not accounting for the new people in our economy have been flat for three years. And so the latest data point was basically flat to no change really month on month. I'm not sure what it was relative to expected, but lo and behold, the nominal figure, which does not sort of take into account inflation sort of ticked up in, in October. And so that's, I mean, like I said, like we've discussed over and over, what matters is per capita improvements in productivity in wages and in inflation um, or sorry, not inflation, but in retail sales. And so that, that's, that's what I'm seeing um, as far as like the actual individual components. Obviously there was some decline. I'm looking at, sorry, I'm just trying to grab the chart right here. Um, there was some decline in, um, 
in what's it called in, you know, motor in, in energy consumption. That's part of the retail sales space. I mean, I know parts and tires fell, you know, used cars and stuff have been flat. Um, uh, but in general, everything's sort of sort of just not doing very well. And I think that's as a function of people retrenching, people getting squeezed on on their mortgage payments. Um, and, and also and also, sorry, very, very important. The retail sales is heavily skewed towards goods. And we've made that point before, which is there's still service. They're still spending on services. So there is there has been a shift, as everyone can obviously sympathize with away from the spending a lot of money on goods and not going out to spending a lot more money on services and less that's money not on bad. goods. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think that's a good it's thing. It's not bad. Um, it's natural, and I think it's part of, a, part of a good thing. The other thing that we see with, with the retail numbers is that um, the, the, the previous month, so if you're not really looking at this stuff all the time, you're like, you're like well, okay, it's growing, stuff like that. But the way economic data work, you, you get the number comes out for the month, and then a month later, you have a new month of data, but you always make a revision to the previous month. So the previous month data for retail sales. So whether it was uh, like the headline number or you exclude uh, autos are always excluded as well to give you a, a bit more conservative look. Uh, the previous month's data was, was surrounded further down, you know, which changes your, your base number. So overall, the, the point is economic growth in Canada, it is getting a bit weaker now, right? That's just what we're, and, and that's the theme that we've been talking about is that we're going to see it eventually. And maybe eventually is now coming up. Well, right? it, also, I think it's it's like a, it's a mugs game to like time it to the month. And maybe that's like, <laughs> where maybe we're like excusing ourselves and our job is to be much more specific and precise about there's going to be recession on this month and this day on this week. But that's not the point. The point is sort of the central tendency. And I think that that's, that's the, the key thing. I think that whether you look at consumer confidence, which rebounded from its lows, but is definitely trending down, or the misery index, or you know, the PMI diffusion index, drink, or you, know, you look at mortgage, um, mortgage, um, mortgage origination, it, it's, it's not, it's, there's, the, the economy so what, is slowing. Yeah. So what, what easy indicator to, to identify if the economy is growing in one city or retail sales are growing and all this stuff like that, it's simply the track rich, which city he's in. And then like, <laughs> it's the services sector, not, not the goods, because he's out at a restaurant and stuff like that on his, on his dates. So I suspect That's Montreal great. city GDP will get a little we'll bump jump. there. Oh man, I wish. Uh, I wish it, I was rich enough get... to uh I was rich rich I was I wish I was rich enough to uh to affect GDP in that way, but sadly that's not not you, yet. You true. are rich. Let's I uh, want to talk about uh I want to talk about equity markets and yeah, also I, bond markets. I was gonna I was gonna bring you to that uh to that sector there. So I mean just to kind of summarize there, it's really just like to me, I'm looking at it and saying you have your, your housing data, whether it's Canada and the U.S. is crap. You've got your car figures rolling over, you know, used car prices down, sales down. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the news today, but I think it was Tesla offering, you know, big discounts, I think up to $10,000 on their cars. So the stock's just been getting hammered. I mean, it's down now, Keith, it's down 68% year to date. Um, Yikes! And that was that was you know all the Elon fanboys. It was the, it was the darling. It was the the outperformer. What are, what are you looking at these days? I mean, was well, so very quick with the whole Tesla story. And you know, we we never dive deep into company specific stories. It's it's not what we do because we like to talk about cool things like central bankers and economists and and stuff. Uh, but Tesla had a bit of a story go on because their, their debt was getting called, so that's why the equity was getting hit at the same time. It wasn't, you know, driven by, you know, what they're selling and, and stuff like that. Um, so I just scolded Steve, I think. Sorry, man. No, that no, the, I mean, that... I'm not the, I'm not a car expert. I'm, I mean, obviously, it's just a matter of time to see all these levered companies that when, when you're, your debt costs are surging, same as a household, I mean... It's going to hurt. It's not just it's, it's not just that. It's also a competition. I mean, like, you know, four years ago or three years ago, uh, there was you could not name another electric vehicle. Now, for better or for worse, there's, you know, uh, uh, Volkswagen's got one, uh, you know, Audi's got one, whatever it is. I mean, there was there was these charts going on a couple of years ago about the market cap versus the total number of auto sales. And for Tesla, again, let's not harp on a specific company, but th this is sort of an inevitability that I think just took a little longer than people expected to play out. Yeah, but Rich, mm -hmm. Canada's mandating electric cars in like 2025. 
It's not happening. It's not <laughs> happening, bro. <laughs> Anyways, Keith, continue. Can you imagine a, get an electric 18-wheeler trying to like chuck it down the road? That ain't going to work. It's not, not going to work. Yeah. Uh, Rich made a good point about debt, how it can affect you know, the, the equity price of, of, of a company. And that's when a company goes from, you know, are they going to produce consistent earnings and stuff to whether it's a going concern? So that, that's, that's a key thing. Uh, so, you know, we're almost at year, year end. And, you know, I think next week, maybe we'll go into more year end numbers and stuff. But, you know, a, about three weeks ago, everyone was thinking, okay, we're getting this year end rally. Everything's going to be awesome. My statement won't look that bad at year end and stuff like that. And, you know, and, and you know, and there she was, right? <laughs> she just left. And um, so markets are now coming off again. And uh, so this is Thursday, of course. And if you're just looking at the end of day marks on, on equity markets, you know, the NASDAQ's probably down two and a half, S&P one and a half, same in Canada, basically. But uh, underneath that, man, it was like the NASDAQ was at about 4% at one point today. Like it, it was, it's starting to roll over. And yesterday, uh, I think I tweeted this out just because a, a key thing with markets, what you're looking at, is that earnings, right? That 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 doesn't matter, right? That's I disagree. The, <laughs> I disagree. That's <laughs> like the European fantasy land and stuff. Come on, it's the, the key driver. <laughs> the key driver of a stock price is more buyers than sellers, and it's the same thing with the housing market and the automobile market and anything, right? You need that, and and like we you guys talking about the rate of change there a few minutes ago. Um, you're getting the same thing now happening in equity markets. So we we like to call something, we call it reversals. So you can get market reversal data. And like it'll move in these nice little cyclical movements with a nice gray wave, you know, or band going through. And 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 that started to roll over three days ago. You can check my Twitter line. I put out a little model of it to, to show it. And uh, we've also had trend data has rolled over. So now suddenly heading into year end, you know, we, we are into this this downtrend. It's coming up. And uh, it was sort of leads me to the other point I, I wanted to bring up with, with equity markets. And uh, this might sound like to be the simplest, you know, investment guide of all time. It's not advice. It's, it's an observation to make when you can get a clue. Has something turned yet? And I know Rich uses this all the time in different markets, and it's very useful. But, but right now, if you're looking at, say, the one-year data or year-to-date data on, on the S&P 500, which is largely the benchmark for, you know, for the world stock market, really, because it's so liquid, um, we're getting lower highs and lower lows all the time. So we had a low back in October. If you want to pull up, maybe we'll show this chart, guys. We'll, we'll pull this yeah. one up, Rich. And uh, you, you can see it, like high and then down low. Up, We had a recovery then into March and April, but not as high as January. And then it came off again. We just hit another high uh, at the beginning of December. And now we're rolling off here again. So we're, we're getting negative momentum into year end. And, and that's the point with it. And then you, you, what you want to do then, because remember, our, our view is that we will potentially roll lower into Q1 with, with equities. And it seems like that's you know the, the path we're headed on, you know, the journey we're going towards. Okay, come on. I come won't say on, it. Man. I won't say it. Um, but right now, that's where we're going. And and there's was, was a really good data point came out this week as well. You know, it's looking because we talk about you know the economy is going to roll over, it's going to hit the housing market and banks earning stuff like that. What we're really talking about is the bond market. And if you look in, so the U.S. is is the biggest bond market in the world, not because of you know treasuries being issued, but for you know non-government debt. Now, in, in Canada, we might have five or six corporate bond issuers. Like, it, it's nothing, right? There's no corporate bond market in, in Canada. It's very small. So it, it's the U.S. market. And as we know, the U.S. market, they can put together like these really cool uh, structures. You know, everyone knows about the mortgage-backed security market and CDO, CMO, and CLOs. That's the big one now today, uh, collateralized loan obligations. But the way that they're put together, you know, it, it's basically a basket of a whole bunch of different issuance by by different companies and um these baskets now they're really having this divergence so you get a section of these ish of these clos where their percentage of them that are trading uh extremely high they're probably of of 
them going into stress is very low, but the bottom portion of it, like it's falling out of bed. So we would call these the hooks or the triple C's. And with a lot of these CLOs, like it's one and a half trillion dollars in this market. And as soon as the company falls out of this bottom range, these, these funds, these structures that are put together, they got to dump it. They're not allowed. They can only hold about seven and a half percent of these funds. And here's, here's the trigger point that goes over to Europe as well, because everything is, is connected here. A lot of these issuers that will have their debt dumped in, in these U.S. structured products, they're also issuing debt in Europe as well. So think of a, a global multinational company that operates in both the U.S. and Europe. They're issuing debt. That's an example of what these guys would be. And as we're getting stress in this U.S. part of the market, so for example, right now, about 5% of that market, these bonds are trading at less than 80 cents on the dollar. And if you know your, your bond market world, the way it works, bonds are never, as soon as they get priced to the dollar, it means now they're trading off spread. So if you're a bond trader, you would say, yeah, everything is priced at, you know, like at five over, two over, like it's, it's relative to a spread on, on, on another market. Now, a lot of these bonds are being priced you know, on, on the dollar basis. So again, it's another sign that the world is getting closer and closer to this recession we keep talking about. And we, anyway, but that, that's the point. So with that happening, with equities rolling over at the same time, maybe it is earnings driven, Rich. Like maybe the market is looking through to see, hey, earnings are going to be you know weaker here in, in Q1 and Q2. But right now, like we're, we're you know, finishing the... Uh, you know, the year on, on their, on the wrong foot, you know, so to speak, it's like the Brits did, right? Massacre, like 2018. Remember that? Oh yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I forget what the return was on that day. I think markets were down, I'm going to guess like three, 4% maybe on, on that day. I, I don't know, but it was, they, uh, they pivoted what a month later, the Fed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because the Fed was hiking rates then 25 basis points, like every second meeting, like they were slowly doing it. And then, you know, it just got to a point where, you know, I, I like the, you know, you, you could just see, um, you know, the Fed at the time, like the the light, the, the phones were lighting up, you know, it was the Italians calling, the Chinese were calling, the Japanese were calling, like, you got to cut this out. And eventually the market did it for them. But the key thing that's different today than back then is that the whole world is coming off zero rates. Everyone's been raising rates from zero now up to four or 5% aggressively, not 25 base point hikes, but doing like 50 and 75. And all of a sudden debt has to get rolled over. And this has never happened before. So trying to go back in time and compare this situation, you know, you love the expression, you know, this time it's different. Everyone goes, yeah, yeah, it's never different. This time has never happened before. Right, so we don't know the, we don't know the outcome yet, right? So um, it really is know. different. <laughs> yeah, well, we have because to be different, it, yeah, but to be different or the same, like you need a comp, right? You have to be able right. to compare it to something. And if anyone can find us, you know, another period where we've had this exact same situation, remember, debt has just exploded high upward, right? You know, because of the zero rates. So I think 23 is just going to be an outstanding year. The loony hour is going to have a lot to talk about. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of, um, just to quickly jump gears, we've got a few, few more minutes left. But, you know, we've been tracking. We've we've talked about quite a bit on this show, just, you know, what's happening. At the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a highly complex global financial system as we have been chatting a lot about this year is the u.s dollar strengthening the weakness particularly in the japanese yen as they try to sort of maintain this yield curve control and they're probably the craziest central bank out there i mean they're really sort of the the creators of, of qe to begin with um and what is it you know so and and keith so they just announced what they they un, they changed their peg on the jgb's I don't know if you have any commentary on that and sort of what you're looking there from like a market perspective. And, and I guess maybe ultimately, what are the implications for, say, a Canadian that uh, is probably unaware of what the J, you know, the Japanese Central Bank uh, has done in recent uh, couple of days? 
Well, as an advisor told me before, there's nothing to be concerned about outside of Canada. So you don't need to worry about, about this stuff, right? Oh, yes. I know. Well, that's what I heard. I was scolded about that. And um, so with, with, the, with the Japanese, what, what they did, they, they, they had a, a very tight band on where they would allow the 10-year the Japanese bond to trade. And it's going to be between minus 25 to plus 25 basis points. So they widened it to minus 50 to plus 50. And that's what created all, all the chaos. And when it happened, it immediately caused uh, all of a sudden the, the 10-year bond market in Japan. So that fell about 3% for the day. The Japanese yen went up 4%. So it appreciated 4% versus the dollar. And the stock market dropped about 4%. So it was, it was this insane, extreme, volatile policy move that nobody was expecting. Like nobody thought it, it could happen, but it did. And so the, the reason this has an effect, because the, the Japanese, they decided, you know what, the yen, the yen's probably off 20%, I think, year to date. I, I might be wrong if you want to, you know, check it, but it's- Well, 150 it's, to 130, roughly. Yeah, that's 20, right? Yeah, that's right. Just backing you up. Yeah, the uh, but um, it, it got to a point where the Japanese said, you know what, we need to shore up the yen here a little bit, so that they were managed. They managed to do that, and uh, but again, it's another situation where something was about to break in the system because if they continued along that similar, you know, path they were headed towards, the yen would have continued to depreciate even further. Which would affected uh, the CNY, so that the Chinese currency, the the Koreans, and and you name it. But it was a pretty big move. But it has a so you have that happening. But it has an effect then on the bond market, pension funds, any mutual funds. Uh, it's hugely positive for Japanese with money abroad to suddenly bring back now because now you won't earn zero percent. You can earn a bit more, and and the market that actually gets hit the most with this is the European market. So it gets hit in two ways. One is that there's a lot of Japanese investment in the European market over there, which comes back. But also, though, a lot of people around the world, uh, if you are a Europhile, so you know you're you're pro Europe and all that is going to be awesome. Um, and you think we're going to have a shallow recession or a soft landing? Then what you want to do is you want to always want to play the the euro yen cross trade in the, in the FX world. So if, if you think the world is awesome, you go long euro, you short yen. If you think the world is awful, you, you do the opposite. You, you sell that trade. Uh, so, so for that day, like the, the, the worst, even though yen was up versus you know everything, uh, it was up even more versus euro. So we got to watch this going forward. The other thing, uh, Kuroda, he's the, he's the the head of the BOJ. Uh, he's retiring soon. It, it's coming up. So you know, so the narrative is that he's trying to set you know, the pace so that the new guy can maybe come out of things. But guys, they're not coming out of anywhere. They're just, they're, they're just 10 feet under with, with debt. Like, I don't know how those guys can do it. And, and they're just trying to survive. Like, you don't want to be that economy that causes everything to, to flip over. But that's the big news with the, uh, with the Japanese. Yeah. Yield, yields moved higher seem across all the markets. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've they've been they've been spiking higher. Yeah, absolutely. I just been watching the. I pretty much just watched the Canada five year bonds. The only thing that's really relevant to sort of my industry. So uh, I comment on that one quite a bit. But you know, even looking at the U.S. ten year, that's that's moved up. I think about twenty, just over twenty basis points in the last couple of days. Yep. yep. Big move. It's big moves. I know it doesn't sound like a lot. Twenty twenty, like uh, you know. 20 basis points on 1%, not that much, but those are, it's a lot of vol. Do you, still, of do you still see the sort of the, the, the long bond, you know, the TLT, for example, or something along those lines, not investment advice, uh, is, is sort of an opportunity at this stage, you know, given the impending recession that everyone has been talking about and bracing for for the last six months? Me? Or yeah, I think you have to. I think you have to because like for in my world, you have to be invested. You can't be, you know, 50% cash. That's not a luxury that one has. has. Um, and so you have to, you have to be allocated um, and you need to be allocated to bonds or stocks. So that's the most important decision normally. Then there's a currency component. Not everyone has to deal with that. 
Um, and if you have to, in my view, if I have to choose, you know, gun to the head, which one I, I'm choosing bonds right now, and I'll take, um, again, non-investment advice, but I would take the, the bond, the risks associated with the bonds and maybe the loss in real terms due to inflation, you know, being higher than the yields and all that duration, et cetera, et cetera, versus the equity market, which, as Keith said, is making lower highs, is trending lower. Um, is in my view at the mercy of really poor earnings and lower earnings um, revisions and calendar year expectations. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's unfortunate. I mean, I, and I'm not a fan of bonds generally, but that's, that's sort of the, where I could, I would hide, let's say, is the way I would position it. Keith, final comments. Uh, warm holiday wishes to everyone. You know, we, we have such a great community here. It's been another whole year, not another whole year, but it's, I think it's just been a great year. And, you know, I think three of us, we all love this week. And, uh, you know, we spent some time with family and friends this weekend. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll be announcing the get together here. We're going to do like a live sort of Q&A social hour. Come on, hang out with us on the, uh, the internet here. Um, I think we've got it for... January the 4th. So January 4th, uh, we'll announce the details shortly for like a link to sort of get together. And like I said, if you want to jump on, uh, it's going to be kind of like a live Q&A, sort of ask us anything really. Um, but just a way to continue to build a community. And we you know, certainly appreciate your support all this year. And um, is this the last? We got one more. I think we got one more episode of this year, I guess. So yep. I'll save that. I'll save the... Uh, Happy New Year for the next episode, but appreciate the support as always. We'll see you next week.